VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome back to Wine Times, brought to you in association with the Sunday Times Wine Club. With me, comedian and wine novice, Susie Ruffle. And me, Will Lyons, the Sunday Times Wine Columnist and Vice President of the Sunday Times Wine Club. Throughout this series, I have taken up the much coveted role as apprentice of wine to try and become a master of all things grape-related. But you won't be on this journey alone, Susie. Oh no, every episode we'll be joined by a well-known guest for some good wine, good times and good conversation. And don't forget, if you like the sound of any of the wines we have on the show, then fear not, because they're all available through the Sunday Times Wine Club. If you haven't signed up yet, there's a link in the episode description just for you. So, whether it's going to be a wonderful day, or you need a prosecond before you get started, in this show, you're sure to find something that suits your taste. And we're here in the fabulous church term, boozy destination, Amazing Grace in London Bridge, ready to bless the wine and have a good time. Discussing and decanting with Susie and myself today is the fantastic writer, Matt Kane. Not only is Matt an experienced writer with several successful novels under his belt and impressive roles splashed across his resume, such as being Channel 4's first culture editor, he is also a broadcaster and a leading commentator on LGBTQ issues. Matt is a presenter on Virgin Radio Pride, where he's been paying tribute to LGBT heroes and pioneers. Plus, he's also an ambassador of Manchester Pride and a patron of LGBTQ History Month. Hello, Matt. Hi. That was quite a mouthful, wasn't it? <laughs> it was quite a mouthful. You're busy. Yeah, well, funnily enough, I know that the norm is to talk about, oh, I'm so busy and I'm rushed off my feet at the moment. Actually, at the moment, I'm not. Well, that's nice, isn't and, it? Um, yes, it's really nice. But when, when you're a writer and I'm working on my next novel, there's always these periods when, you're, when you send off a draft and you're waiting for it to come back. Oh. And I'm um, in that period at the moment. So I've sent off um, the latest draft of my next book and I have to give my editor a few weeks to get her head around it. So I'm, yeah, I mean, it's quite nice for the first few days because you can relax and you're not so busy, you can enjoy it. And then you start to get a bit anxious and you just want it to come back, then you can get on with it. So I've got time for this kind of thing, which is very nice, drinking wine during the day, which I wouldn't be doing if I were writing a book. Sure, 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 sure. (laughs) (laughs) So what number book is this? Well, funny you should say that. I I had quite a long journey to getting published and I was writing books and struggling to get them published. I was always, um, you mentioned in your intro um, that LGBTQ plus is, uh, I'm getting tongue-tied over those letters, um, is part of who I am and what I stand for as a writer, which is true. And in the early days of me writing, I was often told by publishers, this is too niche, it won't find a mainstream market. So actually there's, 
one or two books that weren't published and the ones that were were published in a different order to um, the order I wrote them in. So I've slightly lost track myself, but I think the one that I'm just finishing now is going to be number five to be published. Congratulations. It's so interesting that you say, I wanted to cover this about, because I read an article um, about you saying that, you know, for a long time it was hard to sort of break through or to get people to sort of take queer stories seriously almost. And it, it always, I mean, obviously I'm a gay person as well, but like, I, I just always find it so infuriating that someone assumes that straight people wouldn't be interested oh, in a queer storyline. It's totally. just, it makes no sense. I completely agree. I actually um, think it's patronizing to yeah. straight people, particularly allies. I tend to have in mind when I write a mainstream audience and I think about um, the straight women who really love their gay friends. Yeah. I think about the girls who stuck up for me in the school playground. I think it's so patronizing to say that they won't enjoy queer stories. The interesting thing that happened to me is I used to get my books rejected by publishers for having gay central characters. And a publisher said to me, well, why don't you have nice gay best friends and straight women as the lead characters? And I did that for a couple of books and they didn't sell. Huh. So I then had lead gay characters and straight women as the friends and was much more successful. And, you know, after years and years of rejection and often, you know, I mean, I can sit here and chirpily talk about it now, but it can be very painful um, when you're going through it. I do feel kind of vindicated. And I also think for straight men, cisgender men, it must be so tiring to have to love, live up to ideas of what a man should be mm. and how a man should act. What do you think, Will? The role models you grew up with, did you feel you were being pushed into a box that, that didn't do justice to your individuality? I mean, it, I didn't have any prejudice at all, but I, I went into a very unusual career at a very early age. I went into the world of wine. The old-fashioned wine role model was a portly 55-year-old gentleman <laughs> of St. James's who wore a pinstripe suit, who had a, quite a large tummy red rosy cheeks <laughs> and so didn't and, and didn't take life particularly seriously it was quite a generous character and quite yeah quite sort of vivacious and a bon vivant I suppose I guess that's the thing with wine because I there's something that's a little bit eccentric about it yes so I think it probably pulls in you know regardless of their sort of sexuality I imagine that it pulls in people that are quite willing to be sort of slightly outside yeah. the norm yeah. and now as we've talked about if you go to Hoxton and you've got the whole hipster thing and I said, you know, I'm just not a hipster, as you can imagine. <laughs> but, but it's great. And we've got all these, you know, sort of um, really trendy wine bars. It's a, it's a really good young crowd mm. who are attracted into wine. I think that's, yeah. it, it's much more diverse now than it was. But we've still got a long way to go. A long way to go, I think. And I think it's interesting what you say about male role models, because we had um, Rory and Ade on the show. They do a podcast about sort of men's mental health. Mm. And I think that you're, you're totally right. I think that there's so many... Areas like if when you look at stuff like, for example, masculinity, you know, you're saying about people finding identity through your book. I think that there's such a narrow idea of what a man should yes. and could be, you know, like when talking yeah. about like, you know, thinking about your son or thinking about like, you know, any younger men in our lives. You know, you just sort of want there to be an opportunity out there where there's different types of people 
having successful times. Yeah. And you can go and look at happy, all of yeah. these types of people. Yes, yeah, sorry, and when yeah. I say successful, I don't just mean in a work capacity, I mean successful in relationships and in friendships. And you yeah. know, and I think having more people that are different and where you go, oh, there's people that are like this and this person has this job and they're really successful and they're happy and they have a nice life. This person's totally different. They do this job and this is a woman. And you know, you can yeah. have all these different yeah. types of people and that's, yeah, and I'm sure that people find that through, if people can find that through looking through the gaze of a, of a gay character or a queer character. And, you know, maybe just opens up, not necessarily something about their sexuality, but something about being like, oh, sometimes I feel like I'm really weird and different. And that's okay because yes, this person feels exactly, it in a totally different exactly. way, but feels it in a similar emotion. And it's interesting what you say about wine, that when you work in the wine industry, there's an expectation you will be a bit more characterful, a bit more quirky, that yeah. you won't fit into the rigid box um, that so many people have forced onto them because of their gender or sexuality as straight people. We, as a society, we can move forward by, I think we, 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 we need to emphasise tolerance and forgiveness, especially the latter. I think we need to, uh, I think we need to be a lot easier on ourselves th th than we are. And it seems with the age of social media, there's a lot of uh, angry, judgmental people there. I think the age, and, I think there's so many judgmental people. <laughs> and I think if we can forgive, and, and I think wine helps that obviously, because you, you have a few glasses of wine and you're ready to forgive someone. <laughs> I think that lots of people are good. And I think that sometimes people just haven't been, you know, they haven't read something. They haven't met someone like me. They haven't, you know, I sometimes get it at gigs when, or at least in my earlier career, I would have people saying to me, you're the first lesbian I've ever met. And I'd sort of go, have you played tennis? Cause I bet I'm not, <laughs> um, but you know, but you, you, and you sort of go, oh, okay, well, I get sort of what you're trying, to, you know, but if I can go on stage and make you laugh and, and, and you can sort of go, oh, she's just like me. She just has a wife rather than a husband. You know, sometimes I think, yeah, it just takes a moment. I think sometimes giving someone a moment to catch up because either you go, well, you're all wrong and we're just going to wait for you all to die and we'll be waiting for years. Or you go, okay, you've, we told you a thing, you listened to it and now you've reevaluated your opinion and now we can move forward. I mean, I'm very visibly presenting as gay. I don't mind admitting that, it's blatantly obvious. <laughs> um, so those of us like me, sometimes it's quite hard to grow up on the front line. You're on mm, the front line, whether sure. you like it or not. I'm quite robust, but I can appreciate, even though we are saying, we've got to practice forgiveness, this, that, and the other, engage with these people who may be prejudiced against us. I can also appreciate that not everybody is built to be an activist sure. or to be out there visible, putting themselves out there. You know, I was telling somebody about um, my proposal story when um, in my mid forties, finally after finding a man, he proposed to me, we ended up on a beach in Frinton-on-Sea. I was yeah. desperate <laughs> to just go to the seaside and get out of London. We were allowed to do that. To cut a long story short, I got an inkling that he was gonna propose that morning. I could spot a few signs. And when we sat down on the beach, because I knew it was coming, the first thing I did was look around and think, if he pulls out a ring now, is there gonna be anybody who chucks in an insult or you know, shouts something out or just gives us a dirty look and ruins the moment? And I was telling some straight friends of mine about that and they were like, oh, it had never crossed their mind that if there was a spontaneous display of affection, we're always, you, you're not necessarily always on high alert at, anymore but you've always got those capacities yeah you're 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 always keeping an eye out aren't you, for your safety. Sense. yep yes 
It kind of is that. I mean, w w was your proposal lovely? Did you have to worry about that? Was it all okay? Um, no, it was great because I did, I did look around and think, all right, I can relax, actually. And it was great. Um, although we didn't do a huge kind of kiss and no. anything too public because you never quite know. Yeah, for sure. But no, it was lovely. and um, It's a nice part of the world out there, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite, it's bizarre that in our life story now, me and my other half is from Cape Town in South Africa, and I'm from Bolton in the north of England. We now have Frinton-on-Sea as a key <laughs> landmark, and we've never been back since. Maybe we should. You should. So, I mean, I feel like we, we can cheers to that, can't we? Can we I, think I think we should yeah, kick off with can. our first bottle. What, what, well, have we got something sparkly to... Got some bubbles. Great! Let's celebrate Matt's engagement. We're and we're going, um, we're travelling to... The other side of the world, 11,000 miles away, to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Cricket lovers uh, can celebrate because uh, England have just beaten New Zealand in their series. I should say that. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Oh. He's done it before. You can tell, can't you? <laughs> uh, this is actually from Marlborough. So that's the region on the tip of the South Island. And it's famous. It's world famous mm. for those sort of wonderful, fruity Sauvignon Blanc. Yep. The crisp have all that sort of gooseberry character. And this is one of the best value sparkling wines in the Southern Hemisphere. It's a really sort of insider tip, I think. It's made by hunters. And this is essentially a champagne lookalike. So it's the three great varieties that you have in champagne. Chardonnay, Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier. And they make it in the same way as you would in champagne. But, as I said, 11,000 miles away on the tip of the South Island. What do you think of this one, Matt? I love it. He had me from the scent. <laughs> <laughs> the second my nose went into the glass. It's gorgeous. And it's light and... It is crisp. Cereal, yeah. crisp. Really apple -y. Yeah, very apple -y. Almost like an English sparkling wine, actually. Mm. And you could have it with sushi, mm. seafood, mm. salmon. This would be a well. Very nice. I like that a lot. Yeah. Listening to Wine Times, brought to you with the help of our friends at the Sunday Times Wine Club, your go-to experts for fantastic wine. And don't forget, if you like the sound of any of the wines we've been tasting in this episode, there'll be a link to them in the podcast description. The train is now approaching junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
Well, so we're, we're going to leave Marlborough. So we're going to drive to Blenheim, which is a small town in the middle of Marlborough. And we're probably just going to fly because it's easier. And we get on one of those propeller aeroplanes and okay. take off, go to Auckland. And we're not going too far. We're staying in the Southern Hemisphere. We're going to go 7,000 miles and we're going to go to Cape Town. Oh, to great. South Africa for our next wine. So do you and your partner drink a lot of South African wine at home? Funnily enough, we're not, he's actually, he's very knowledgeable about wine, but he's not a massive drinker. Right. Um, so we tend not to drink when we're on our own at home, mm. but we always have a stock of South African wine in. And whenever we go to somebody's house, we always take South African wine. It seems right. It seems like you want yeah. to, doesn't it? It kind of does. It's interesting. I was thinking about my relationship with wine before coming on here. And um, I've always, I've always loved and appreciated wine, but I've always felt a bit underconfident when yeah. it comes to <laughs> exploring or expressing any knowledge of it. And I think part of that is down to my upbringing. And it's not um, a poor working class boy narrative because actually I'm not even sure I am working class. My mum and dad were both brought up on council estates, but they both went to grammar schools mm. and my dad became a teacher. And you know, when they talk about they used to say it takes two generations to change class. So I'm probably in the intermediate generation. I certainly think my upbringing was culturally working class. My grandparents, they wouldn't have wine with a meal. They'd have a cup of tea. Mm. Yes. And my mum and dad were the ones, you know, my dad was the first to go to university and he, he and my mum kind of, you know, pre the internet and these kind of podcasts, they were completely self-taught. Yeah. I think the reason I'm underconfident, I don't have imposter syndrome when it comes to wine. I think what it is, I went to state schools, I went to Cambridge University, and from then on at the age of 18, I was basically always around people who knew more knew about wine than yeah, I yeah. did. Mm. So it, it wasn't feeling bad about myself. I just kind of would hold back. You know, when I, I was listening to your episode with Ben Shepherd, and he, he's brilliant. He'd grown up with wine. He's yes. so confident. Yes. I've been around Ben Shepherds since the age of 18. So I've kind of enjoyed the wine and appreciated it, but let other people be in the driving seat. Yeah. If and that the, makes sense. One of the big problems with wine uh, is people love to show off their knowledge and make, and, and they tend to accentuate that as well. So they say something like, yeah, we well, enjoyed the lovely Sassanio Morrissey. And if you've never heard it, you'd think of Greggy. So you just be quiet, don't you? And I can imagine going to Cambridge, there was a lot of people there that had a lot of background knowledge who were just dropping it in. Yeah, that, yeah, I mean, people who, you know, wouldn't have been brought up drinking cups of tea at the yeah. um, table. You know, it's so <laughs> weird because, like I say, I'm marrying a South African who's from a wine, he's from a country where actually it's not so much about, it's not divided on class lines, it's about race. Yeah. He has a house in Italy and he has a vineyard. So what does that mean about my class now? I mean, I don't, I don't so know. So does he make wine? So he has a small vineyard. Basically, it's that thing where, you, you know, you've only got time for so much in your life. He's got this olive grove and vineyard and this mm. 11th century castle near Lucca um, in Tuscany. And the local wine is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and he basically has the next door farmer look after it, look after the olives and look after the... Vin their vineyard and he keeps the olive oil and the wine i don't think the wine is great yeah i keep saying to him wouldn't it be great in our 50s to kind of spend more time in italy to spend time on the olive grove and the vineyard oh yes can you imagine it sounds like the dream 
But don't they say it takes 20 or 30 years to get wine that... Oh, you'll, you'll be dead by the time there's a good bottle. <laughs> but you, it's about the journey, love. It takes 20 or 30 years for the vines to produce fruit that can make complex, interesting wine, yeah. Um, so we might be drinking well, rank I, wine. I think anything <laughs> will taste well. Anything will taste nice. But this is beautiful. Have you now, tasted this yet? This is so really are, good. We're 45 minutes um, from Cape oh. Town. We're not in Stellenbosch. We're in Pal, which is a little bit hotter. And this is the Vondeling uh, Babiana 2020. Now, every year, you'll know this, there is a guide to South African wines called the Platter's Guide, where they have half a dozen judges, they taste all the wines, and they rate them. And this wine always gets extremely highly rated by the Platter's Guide. Oh, I can see stars. why. It's really it's good. It's really nice. And the blend is a, a sort of field blend from, inspired from um, southern France. So it's Chenin Blanc, Viognier, Grenache Blanc, and Roussin. And... Look at the colour of it, it's sort of intense. Obviously, you can't, you can't see the colour at home. But it's this intense golden colour. And it's, do you know, what South Africa does so well is it marries the complexity of flavour you get, the classic styles of the old world, of Europe, of France, uh, Italy, Spain, with that sort of intensity and vivacity of, of the new world, Australia, New Zealand. You know, speak to any wine critic or sommelier or collector, and they will tell you that South Africa is one of the most, if not the most, exciting wine-producing country now on the wine route. In terms of value wines, for, you know, between 5 and £15, pounds, and fine wines as well, across the spectrum. Um, because really they've, got like the old, they've got great soils there, wonderful climate, and very focused and ambitious winemakers who all compete with each other. It's quite a small, the wine world there is quite small. They all know what they're doing. And they've all gone off now and traveled. And they've done vintages. They've learned their, you know, they've gone to Australia, gone to New Zealand, gone to California, South America. They've brought back, they're much more open-minded, brought back all those techniques and the expertise. And they're just making incredible wine that's, that's good value. And how, you know, you were talking about how long it takes to get a complex wine. How long have they had a wine industry in South Africa? Mm. Well, the point is, it's quite an unusual country on the wine route because I think the first vines were planted in the 17th century by the Dutch when they were going east because it was a shipping station. Um, you know, there was the, 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 the Dutch East India Company. And they had this period of huge success with things like Van de Constance, which was Napoleon's favorite sweet wine. And, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, they were the, the market leader in wine, along with France and, and, uh, and Germany and Hungary, other places. But the 20th century wasn't kind to wine in South Africa because they were cut off from the world with apartheid. Mm. And then what happened after apartheid, the wine industry had a lot of goodwill towards it because it had opened up. But when you've been siphoned off from the world, you know, you, you, it takes a while to get back up to that level. So they have this... In, in, in wine terms, this old history. They've got very old soils, incredibly old soils, great terroir, what we call terroir. Um, so they've got all the raw materials there. But this new energy has been injected in, and it's, it, it's come in the last 10 years, really. And it just feels that every year they're dialing it up a notch and a notch, and it's getting better and better and better. I really like So I, I would say this is one of my favourite whites of the series. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think yeah. it's really yeah, good. Fantastic. You know, when you're saying they've... Um, there's a perception issue because they've been affordable. It must be. People must think they're cheap, therefore they're... Well, it's a, it's a variety of factors. And also they probably, you know, they're not made in enormous quantities, the, the, the great wines. So yeah. it's just people haven't tasted them. 
But I am aware that there are two currencies for a wine lover. So you'll go into Waitrose and you'll say, crikey, those strawberries cost a lot. Then you'll go to the wine aisle and think nothing of spending £30 a bottle on them, which for most people is absolutely ludicrous yeah. to spend, you know, even to spend £15 on a bottle of wine is a lot of money. I, I appreciate that. So as a wine lover, you get slightly numb to, uh, to paying a lot for So for would great you wine. think differently about a wine if you saw it very inexpensively, affordably, cheaply priced? No, well, I've, because of what I do, I taste my wines for the column, though, without knowing the price. And interestingly, oh. I don't like to tell people the prices when I'm hosting a wine tasting because it changes their opinion completely. Mm. Well, you've said this before on the podcast, but I think it's always worth noting again about how much, how much of the experience of drinking wine comes from the moment that like, the bottle is brought to the table. It's how you look at it. It's how yeah, it's yeah. opened. You know, even something like someone, you know, being in a nice restaurant and someone opening the wine in sort of quite a theatrical way would also would make you go, well, this must be good. If they're putting in all that effort into how they open it. Like it's Definitely. so much of it is about perception, isn't it? But it's interesting what you say about the whole the theatricality of the way wine is presented to you in a posh restaurant. Actually, if you're picking up a bottle from the wine aisle in Asda. It's going to be I the opposite I still do that quite that. theatrically. <laughs> I always have a cape, just in case I'm getting wine. <laughs> but it is, going to work. it is going to be the opposite of what yeah. you're saying, isn't it? It's 100%. the same point. Yeah, yeah. 100%. No, absolutely. I, 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 I mean, the point I make is I, I do love the theatre of wine. And you go to a, a very smart restaurant and the sommelier comes and hands you this book, which looks like a Bible. Mm. And then you spend hours decanting it and bringing it to your table. But as I said to Susie, and I'll say it again, that there's nothing wrong with going to Asda on Tuesday and buying a £7, £4 bottle of rosé and enjoying it for what it is. Only on a Tuesday? And then go, <laughs> yes, on a Thursday. You must spend at least nine. And then having it's a, a huge... Long, come on, thing. And then going to a very, very fancy restaurant on Saturday night and enjoying something that's much more complex and intense. You can like both. It doesn't have yeah. to be this competition. You don't always have to say, right, I only like fine wine. I don't like cheap wine. Or the worst one, I think, is the reverse snobbery. I don't drink anything over £15 a bottle. Yeah. Well, why not? Just keep an open mind. Just drink everything and see what you try like. Try things. Yeah, try It's it. okay if one of your favourite wines is And if it's very expensive, it's pretty uncomfortable feeling for you, well, don't do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I loved this. This is love, is I loved here. it. Okay, so from South Africa, where do we go to now? Do we have a red? I always feel quite sorry for the red because your palate now has to readjust. So, 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 so usually you would be, you know... The two sit- apprentices at this side are <laughs> reaching for our water. Yeah. I'm, even, I'm going to taste the water like I taste <laughs> the wine. Almost as if you gave us an instruction. <laughs> our palate needs to readjust. Quick, reach for the water. Well, you would have had a few canapes with the, with, the sham, with, with, with the sparkling wine, maybe a nice risotto or something with the white wine. And then yeah. you're onto the sort of meat dish now, or the, right. or the heavier dish. So I always feel sorry because it comes after... But it always feels like the red can deal with that because she's punchy. She's a punchy like. Do you know what I mean? It's not. I know that some reds are more subtle, but it feels like the. Thank you. You wouldn't go if we were doing a tasting. You wouldn't have the red then the white, would you? Excellent question. Probably the best question you've asked on this series, actually. Huge news! Oh my god! Stop the press. Make sure we get this on camera. Okay, this is really big stuff. She's learning. Don't say that she's not. Can I just say, I find that fascinating, that question, because I've, you know, the whole thing about red with meat and white with chicken and fish, I learned a while ago that that wasn't a hard and fast rule. But one rule I would never break, I would always go from white to red. 
What's that saying? I oh, know it's, um, it's beer, then wine. <laughs> beer, then wine, you'll feel fine. Yeah. Wine, then beer, you'll feel queer. We should change We've it. We've had to... loads of it. That's how it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> we should change it to white and red. Yes. Yeah. I would never go red, then white. There are people who believe that, um, and it's a consensus of opinion, that when you're tasting wine analytically, so when you're going to a tasting and there's 100 wines to analyse, say you own an independent wine shop and you're looking for those seven wines you're going to buy that year, you start with the reds and you finish with the whites because the whites have more acidity, so your palate is more suited, so, so, so you're more generous with the reds, you know, you're more... And certainly the big tastings we have here in London, the big multiples that I go to, um, a lot of critics start with the reds. Can in I, Burgundy as well. They always start with the reds and then they move on to the whites. Can I just ask, when you're talking about this, that acidity, just so I know what you yeah. mean, is it because the whites sort of leave that yeah, flash across it, your tongue in a way that the reds Yeah, don't and that sort of much? saline, salty tang. Yeah. Yeah, and w which then I suppose... I wouldn't put that on the back of a bottle of wine. <laughs> saline, salty tang. Now, <laughs> having said all that, I always start with the whites. So I, okay. I, I, I kind of feel... It's like when you go, when you go to France... And you'll be tasting with a winemaker, then they go out for a cigarette. And people are like, Craigie, how can they do that? And I think if you're, if you're so used to tasting wine, actually, your palate is, becomes trained, almost, you can handle these external um, factors. So, um, that smells quite fruity, I think. Yeah, so we've, we're, 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 we're taking off. We're back in Stellenbosch, so Cape Town Airport. Overnight flight to Paris. Okay, fine. And then I'll be we're there. going to head down on a little plane to Perpignan. We're, we're in the Languedoc here. Um, and this is quite interesting. It's a sort of new uh, appellation. It's owned by Francois Lerton, who comes from a very famous Bordeaux family, the Lertons. And we're west of Montpellier, near where Moliere, the playwright, oh, yeah. used to holiday, I think. And the Languedoc is interesting because it's almost like the new world in France. What do I mean by that? There's a lot of experimentation going on in terms of great varieties. There's a lot of uh, energy about the place of young, um, young winemakers. And they're making wine, as you say, Susie, in that sort of fruit-forward style, which is really approachable. Really fruity. Yeah. It's Quite gorgeous. sort of blackcurrant mm. Is that mm. right? Um, it's been lovely with some cheese. Yeah, some cheese or... Maybe Boy, that's why people tend to think red after because yeah. it's it's often a bit more savoury, isn't it? Mm. And um, mm. it's almost like the main course mm. of wines. And also, we do live on a on a wind uh, sort of windswept, damp island, and we forget it's not always like this in the summer, is it? So this is a this is a wine that you would have on a cold November night oh. when it's mm. dark at four. There's rain, wind, lashing at the windows. Oh, I know what's happened. And you're doing, you've got a slow I've got the image. Stew. We've been to a firework display. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's been rained off. Yeah. We've just made it into the pub. There's just enough room for us. It's quite busy, but everyone's in quite a jolly mood. So you don't mind it so much. You think, oh, is it full of really difficult? Oh, no, actually, that's quite charming. That's nice. And then you get this glass of wine. And you, you, know, you haven't even got a seat, but you don't mind because it's pouring outside. And you've got a nice glass of wine in your hand. Yeah. I want to be there now. I like to give a little... I feel like, you know, Will brings the expertise and, and I sort really of paint <laughs> the picture. Really, really nice. What do you think of it, Matt? I don't like a red wine that is too earthy. Mm. Yeah. And um, it really slides down, doesn't it? It's yeah. Lovely. Really nice. And it's got a bit of um, 
Grenache in. And Grenache is your easy drinking, I think, juicy. It makes wine like this when it's blended with sort of Mouvedre and the, and the other great varieties from the region. Is easy drinking one of those um, terms that can be used as a kind of yes. veiled insult, like yes. easy listening music? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Or with yeah. books, they say, it's really easy to read. Yeah. Um, Airport thrillers. Yeah. I, as I said before, I'm sort of beyond all that now. But I think once you get to a certain level, you can then appreciate wines for what they are and what they're, and what they're trying to be. And, and this is what that is trying to be. So it's not trying to be anything grand or intellectual. Mm. It's just a sort of a good drinking red. Yeah, I mean, if it's easy to drink, why should that ever be, be a problem? Constri- yeah. yeah. <laughs> we always ask our guests what is their favourite of the day. Well, what, what is your favourite out of those, th- those three wines? I've genuinely enjoyed all three. I would probably say, and I enjoy white just as much as red, but I would probably say the middle one, the white. Yeah, the white was sensational. I, I would agree with you. And do you know what that makes three? Okay. That's my yeah. favourite play as well. <laughs> let's let's go to the airport and let's go to the airport. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, you for having fantastic. me. <laughs> That's it from us today. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Wine Times in association with the Sunday Times Wine Club. Produced by Anya Pierce and the series producer is Ben Mitchell. You can follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. Just do this via your normal podcast provider. And we'll be back next week with more delicious wines and another great guest. And remember that all of the wines we tasted today are available from the Sunday Times Wine Club website. But from all of us here at Amazing Grace, thank you very much for listening and we hope to see you next week for more Wine Times. 